Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 97 of Unblocking Crypto. How we're cl- approaching the 100 episodes, Mark. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about Bitcoin again. Yeah. So before we jump into some of the price action in Bitcoin, because I think that's probably fun and, and interesting to talk about, I did see El Salvador made an announcement that they are giving a thousand people a year the opportunity to become citizens of El Salvador. And it, all it takes is a million dollar investment, ideally in Bitcoin, although I think they take Ethereum or Tether. That may be just for the application fee, which is like a $999 application fee. But what's crazy already is they have 153 people on the wait list that they are vetting at this point. So they're about to theoretically have $153 million of Bitcoin dropped into their pocket very shortly, which is crazy for a country like that. Oh, uh, it's uh, absolutely. It's what we keep talking about. It The Bitcoin stuff works, especially it works early. You know, if there were 12 countries that were doing this and El Salvador wasn't the most attractive, then El Salvador wouldn't have 135 people standing in line to to, to pledge a million dollar investment in a business or, or however it's structured. And but because they're first, they're going to get 100 percent of the people that are like, you know what? I am sick of living in this San Francisco with poop on the streets. Like, oh, I got all this Bitcoin. Let's move to El Salvador and surf and make it work down there. And so I think it's put it on the list between tourism, the the Bitcoin volcano bond, which just got approved, which is going to be a, a, a novel way for people to get Bitcoin exposure. I mean, and, and so, yeah, El Salvador is working for El Salvador. I'm still waiting for other countries to jump in. I'm hearing rumors that some are, but I'm not sure if, you know, nothing's nothing's concrete. So, but, uh, but yeah, get there first. That's the best. I mean, that's Bitcoin 101. Get in as soon as you can. Yeah. I mean, El Salvador continues just to make interesting moves and, and partly because they're employing a lot of the Bitcoin economists that are huge fans of this and, and they're listening to what they have to say. Right. I mean, it's. It's amazing to see a government actually listen to people that know what they're talking about instead of listening to people that don't care about the general population and only care about voting on things that are beneficial for them. Yeah, it's it's funny because like Max Kaiser is one of the people that are involved in the El Salvador thing. And I really don't care to listen to him. He's just he's like just too bombastic and too like just he's just kind of a he sounds crazy. So I'm like, this isn't great for people who are serious. So he must tone, that must be a bit of a show that he puts on when he's on podcasts and, and on stage and stuff. So, because if I was the president, I'd be like, Hey, get this guy out of here and give me somebody more serious. Now, Saifedean, who is uh, helping them on the economic side, he's a bit more serious. I, I read his book. I read one of his books, Bitcoin standard. And I, I kind of like him. He's, he's, I think he's a mechanical engineer turned economist. So I feel like I'm kind of the same. And so I, I, I do like him. But uh, yeah, I, what other countries have leaders that are actually drawing in people based on merit? You know, 
it's not ours. So they're ahead of us there. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about some of the price action for Bitcoin. We hit about $45,000, which is awesome. I think we went way back down to, I don't know, 40 or something like that. And now it's back up to just around $42,000. So a lot of that, I think the, the dollar rallied and perpetuals were kind of a, a big reason too. So there was a lot of open interest on longs on Bitcoin. And when that happens, it's kind of good to kind of flush that out and have come back to normal. So people got flushed out and now we're sitting at a healthier level instead of way over long. Yeah. So the, the, on, on Sunday is the day we wicked down and, and lost from say 45 to 40, a 10, 12% drop. One single seller sold 1.5 billion in Bitcoin with a market sale. So Basically, whatever that is, however many thousand Bitcoin that is, sell it whatever the price is. So it was a it was a conscious decision to wipe out those longs, and I I actually saw this guy's buys and sells over the last six months from that wallet, and it was like the guy kills the bottoms and kills the tops. Like he he's just he's either really good or he moves the market. And but a 1.5 billion market sale is not a profit taker, in my opinion. You're trying to you're trying to prove a point. But at the point that it proved to me was, if you're a ETF holder and you need to sell 300 million dollars worth of Bitcoin, you can do it. In the worst case, you can do it all at once, and it doesn't just destroy the market. I mean, this was on a Sunday, so institutional investors and things like that aren't paying attention or able to trade. So on Sunday, the market swallowed up $1.5 billion worth of sell pressure and it only dropped 10 or 12%. So, and that's without ETFs in the market and without, you know, some of these big players in yet. So I think that's fine with me, you know, on the way up like this, you can't just go up because you accumulate those leverage longs and everything kind of, there's some price suppression. So that kind of stuff works for me. I mean, 10% drop and then a bounce back. So we're down about 5%. 5% a daily volatility for Bitcoin. That's no big deal. So I, I'm i pretty happy with, with the way it responded there. Yeah, it was starting to go up too fast, too quickly. We're very much in that greedy area right now. And it's you always want to take advantage of when people are scared and sell when people are, are greedy, right? So that's kind of what we're starting to see. And if you look at uh, Kathy Wood, she sold more Coinbase stock, sold another like 50 million of Coinbase stock. So she continues to take profit on the way up during all of this, like all of us theoretically should be doing. <laughs> yeah, and I think she's forced, I think she has limits on, she can't be overweight by more than like 10% for her, for her ARK investments in any single equity or single investment. So I don't, I think she's actually a forced seller when like Coinbase tripled. So if she had 4% in Coinbase in the beginning of the year, now she's at 12. So she's got to lop off the top just to stay in compliance. So uh, to me, that's, that's good. But also for her, that's seed money for her ARC big spot Bitcoin ETF too. So she could be selling for that reason to just to liquidate, get some cash so that she can fund that low. And basically she'll be able to collect the fees as kind of a dividend on buying low. I don't know how much Bitcoin they have and how they're going to redistribute it, but we'll see. We'll see how all that stuff shakes out. 
Yeah, the other thing that I guess I saw was there is a CME gap for Bitcoin down at around 40K. So, I mean, the one thing that people should be aware of is that, and that's on the, the daily, right? So, so far with those gaps, 28 of 30 of them have been filled. <laughs> the odds are, are fairly good. And so we could probably see something go back down at some point, but there, there's one at about 40K and there's also one at about 20K. And the one at 20K, I think was when FTX, or no, sorry, Silicon Valley Bank it imploded and that happened on a Sunday too, for some reason. And everything has rallied and I don't think we're gonna get back to the 20K. But the be really weird. It, I would be so yeah. wrong if we get back to 20k. Yeah, but the 40k is definitely still a possibility. So I mean, going up to 45k, everybody thought they lost their buying opportunity. If, if it goes down back down to sub 40k, that's definitely another buying opportunity for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And then the other big news, I guess, that happens, I think, tomorrow is the rate decision, right? So there's. The Fed is going to decide on what they're going to do with rates. And what was interesting is Goldman Sachs kind of came out and they pulled in their estimate for the Fed's first rate cut before they had it in Q4 of 2024. And they pulled it into Q3 of 2024. So I think no expectation for the rate to be cut tomorrow, but there is still that expectation that at some point the the Fed, I shouldn't say the government, the Fed, because they're not the government, is going to actually have to make a decision and cut the rate to help with the economy. Yeah, I mean, so super quick, um, I think, yeah, I think they're flat here. I don't think they raise or lower rates. I think they just keep watching unemployment because they're stuck on the Phillips curve. And then I would think the cut comes like second quarter next year or maybe late first quarter because of my conspiracy theory that everybody's going to try to do what they can do to keep the blue team in charge because the red team just doesn't seem to play ball or they maybe they just have too many outsiders that that have a shot at winning so i think a cut early in the year really helps later in the year when it's uh, time to vote and if the economy is doing well and people have more money in their pockets i think that the incumbents tend to have uh, a favorable result in the election, so I think I think you'll see I think you'll see rate cuts and the reverse repo will probably run out of money, so we'll see some money printing in that second quarter, third quarter kind of time frame, which coincides really well with Bitcoin ETF having Bitcoin bull run cycles. If you print money, some of it always finds its way into Bitcoin, so. You know me, like bullish, 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 bullish. Well, the opposite of bullish would be literally declaring war on crypto, and Elizabeth Warren seems to have done that here recently. So she pretty much was interviewing Jamie Morgan, the CEO of JP. Sorry, yeah, Jamie Morgan. Yeah, Jamie Dimon. Yeah, JP Morgan. Yeah, Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon. Yeah, the CEO of JP Morgan and Chase. And he pretty much came out and said, I mean, she kind of goaded him and said, is there anything that Bitcoin is used for other than terrorism? And he said, no, I've been a opponent of Bitcoin ever since the beginning and terrorism and illicit activities are the only thing that it's ever used for. 
which it was funny if you watch the video the guy sitting next to him like like turned and had the weirdest face like what are you talking about because it's the crazy part is one jb morgan owns about 10 percent in consensus which is the major upkeeper of ethereum right so <laughs> it's crazy that they're spending a ton of money on ethereum and still saying that crypto is bad yet they're using blockchain technology for everything they do even with their own token and then two jamie diamond has pretty much been known to manipulate the market so if you look back i think it was september of last year he pretty much came out and said anybody that is at chase that gets caught buying bitcoin is going to get fired and bitcoin dropped like 20 percent or something like that and within a couple of days after that and there was a huge buy and it I guess what they were able to track it back, it was to two major banks and Chase was one of them. So, I mean, and but of course, he's not going to get in trouble for doing that because the banks are allowed to do that. <laughs> so it's it's kind of a mess. But I think the, the, the concept here is don't do it. Be careful about what people tell you and just watch what they're actually doing behind the scenes. And that's going to be similar with, with all these banks moving forward. Yeah, I mean, watch what they do and you know, watch what they say and see how they jive because Elizabeth Warren is supposed to be like the voice for the working man, like, you know, anti-bank pro small guy. I mean, she's, that's what she's supposed to be. She's like the most banking friendly person in Congress. It's like, if you look at what she does and so she's passing, she's, she's sponsoring this bill that is a, basically eliminating self-custody and and self-custody wallets. That's kind of the thing that that is all about. It's all over Twitter as far as, oh, there's this bill, it's get it's gaining steam and all these things. And and it's like, yeah, it would be a killer. It would be it would it would change everything. Well, it would change everything to favor ETFs and it would favor centralized custody of Bitcoin and crypto, which I mean that's awful for everyday guy who's like a non-banked poor person would be terrible because on a on a free smartphone from the government you could store money on your phone and not have to pay fees and you there's no over no possibility of overdraft so you don't have to get smashed with overdraft fees and you know all these kind of low income people problems that continue to bury them Instead, it's just super favorable for banks and financial institutions that are going to hold this stuff. And it helps wealthy people get more wealthy off of things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, instead of helping smaller people get a small piece of it and, and see the same returns. The The good news is, one, it's the freaking government, so it's so slow and, and inefficient. But number two is Elizabeth Warren has never sponsored a bill that's passed. Zero bills. <laughs> There's one I think she co-sponsored. She has co-sponsored bills that have passed. And I think the one that she's most closely sponsored or she's the most – it was like a POW in the flag bill that allowed it to be flown on federal land. Like that's the only bill that she's had success with. So not a, not a super big concern. It's like, like BlackRock's 575 and 1 when it comes to passing ETFs. Elizabeth Warren's like 123 and and O sponsoring bills. So I'm not I'm not super stressing it, but it's the problem is there's so many uneducated people in Washington that and Elizabeth Warren carries a lot of weight because she's got seniority 
that you could see people kind of go in one direction and it would be tough to reverse that course in a year or two. And when everybody's like, hey, yeah, this is a great thing. It's working for everybody. Store of value, maybe medium of exchange. We need to help it out. So, you know, I'm not like I'm not going to be worried about the elimination of self-custody until it's like a real problem, especially with, you know, the red team being in in control of, of parts of the government. And honestly, they're not going to do anything like this in election year. There's at least 20 million Americans with crypt, that hold crypto, and it's got to be way more than that. And it's just it's just hidden in the Coinbase numbers, you know. So I would I would wager that if that a lot of them will vote, and I bet you a lot more of them would vote if they banned self custody of of wallets. So I, I think it's a I think it's Elizabeth Warren doing what she needs to do to get her donations from all the big banks and it'll just die on the vine and it's not going to cost anybody an election because, you know, Bitcoin's not going to be out there. So that's kind of my my view on the Elizabeth Warren stuff. Well, a couple things to kind of throw out there. I mean, I was watching or listening to another guy talk a little bit about his theory behind all of this and kind of what you just described on this self-custody or getting rid of self-custody, what it would allow is it it forces the ability for a CDPC to happen. And that is almost exactly what Elizabeth Warren wants to have is she wants to control it all at the end of the day, right? And it, to prevent you and I from having interaction and being able to settle our balances without having a third party take some sort of fee or cut, right? And and that's what, what banks are doing today. So that, that really kills her concept of the banks having this this piece of everything. And at the end of the day, she also right now, I mean, you look at Gary Gensler, right? He is literally her puppet at this point. So he tied himself to her. And what's crazy is before he got into this office, he was at MIT talking about how great blockchain was, teaching it at MIT, Algorand specifically, and now he's declaring Algorand a security. So, I mean, he is literally has no backbone and everybody talks about him being more of a politician at this point than anything else. So he's just trying to work his way up. I think he wants, somebody was saying he wants to be part of the Fed or Treasury or something. I don't know what it is, right? But it's, he thinks Elizabeth Warren is the best path for him to do that. Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at what politics will do to you, you'll be a person who goes from assigning the Bitcoin white paper as homework to a guy that can't sit there and answer if Ethereum is a security or not in, in, yeah. in, in eight, 10 years. It's, it's not good for you, right? I mean, politics attracts the worst people and then it makes them even worse. And, yeah. and I, even if you get sucked in as a good person, I, I think that it's a rare person that has what it takes to continually stand up and, and just see everybody else gaining personal wealth and you don't, even though you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to do it. So I, 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 politics is awful. I, I, I think that it, I think it's, I think it makes the individuals in it worse, and I think it makes it worse for everyone else as well. The, unless you're in the, unless you're close to the money printer, and you're in the industrial, the military industrial complex, and if you're, a, you know, if you're in the infrastructure game, and you're a good lobbyist, and you get the infrastructure bill passed, you know, you win. And then guess what? The, the people who are working the construction jobs for the infrastructure projects are happy, but they have no idea how much money they are not getting 
out of the, the, the tax dollars and debt dollars that are created in order to make those projects happen. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something that's kind of more exciting. And we've joked about BlackRock not getting the ticker symbol HODL, right? And Fanac just came out and said that their Bitcoin ETF will be HODL. <laughs> so they're kind of saying they want to go after that, that niche community, almost more along the millennial side and the boomer side. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, man, I don't know why the first person didn't come out with it wanted to go with that just if they want to be part of the Bitcoin community and, and gather all, all the dollars, you would think just that from a marketing perspective alone would do it. So that's their plan. I think they're waiting for official approval, but they have submitted it. That That's the goal for them. Yeah. So for me, HODL seems like a good ticker symbol, but the money coming in isn't going to be from people that even know the HODL joke, you know? So that money's already in. And those people are going to want to hold Bitcoin. So I don't like, you know, I would rather have BTC in my ticker symbol and try to get the boomer money because that's where all the money is. And I think Grayscale has BTC and ARC has a BTC. One of them is Burr, B-R-R-R, like money printer go Burr. And, you know, again, HODL and Burr are going to get, they're going to be splitting some small piece of the pie and BTC is going to get a lot. A BTC is going to get a lot. So I think, you know, if I'm a, if I'm an Edward Jones guy, I'm going to go BlackRock, Grayscale, you know, one of the, one of the big ones. And so that's, I think there's more money in that. I think it's great from a Bitcoiner side, but Bitcoiners are going to hold Bitcoin. Well, I think from a Van Eck perspective, if you can't have BTC, Right. And okay, you're not going to have ABTC or IBTC that BlackRock is doing, right? Yeah. Are you just going to throw another letter there or are you going to try to differentiate yourself? And I think it's great what they're doing, right? To your point, the majority of dollars probably are not going to be going into the Van Eck ETF. But I guess when the boomers start dying and give all the money to millennials, maybe then it started transferring at that point. So That's true. maybe they're playing the long game. <laughs> well, and here's the thing too, is, you know, looking at these ETF amendments and things. So we talked about it a few weeks ago about the in-kind creates versus the cash creates. And they're continuing to push to get in-kind creates to be a, an acceptable thing for the SEC. And they're trying to like BlackRock and, some of the traditional guys are are pushing for it and trying to find new ways to do it. And so I'm kind of curious to see like HODL and Burr, like if you're going after the Bitcoiner types, you could make those ETFs where it's like, okay, well, when you, if you want shares of your ETFs, if you want to cash out, we'll give you the Bitcoin. You don't have to transfer from the ETF into cash and pay the, and have a taxable event. We can just give you the Bitcoin where I don't see BlackRock trading with the user for Bitcoin. And so there may be a play there where you can have some differentiation where you can you can trade in and out of the ETF for Bitcoin. And why would you do that? If Bitcoin becomes a medium of exchange and you want to buy a house in Bitcoin, you could come out of your ETF that you put your you put in your Roth or your 401k. And you can come out of that into Bitcoin and buy a house. And so there's, there's, there's a reason for it. So, but 
there's 12 dead gum ETFs. So they're going to have to do something different. Some of these guys have to do different yeah. things in order to get different pools of money available to them. And so I'm not, I'm curious to see how it goes. I did see that Google just changed their ad rules because they had previously disallowed all crypto advertising. And they, this week, made a change so that crypto trusts could now advertise. So that opens the door for ETFs to do Google ads. And Convenient. so, yeah, I mean, if I think that this is all kind of supporting the fact that the ETFs will be approved, you know, in that January timeframe and within 45 days, there'll be marketing and, and advertising and trying to build up that that information. I mean, I, I, so I talked to, I played, played golf with an, uh, a financial advisor last week and I was asking, and he's a Bitcoin guy. And so I was asking him about it and he, and I, so I basically said, Hey, are you warming your clients up to the idea of having Bitcoin exposure? He's like, they're already there. All I've already got them all there. He's like, and if they don't let me buy some of this Bitcoin spot ETF, I might just go off on my own and be an independent financial advisor because you know they're they're not doing any favors. He said he called the the you know the mothership, and they said and asked like, hey, am I going to be able to do this? And they said, do it as soon as possible before we restrict it. <laughs> so it's like you know, there's so many hurdles. Of the, it's you know these dadgum big investment houses are so just antiquated. I mean, you can you can invest in uh, triple leveraged ETFs, and you can invest in you know inverse Kramer ETFs, but you can't buy uh, ETFs that actually hold spot Bitcoin. So we'll see how it goes. But I I, I I like the way it's going because people like that always they always bend. You know, it's like as soon as one of the other ETFs is is growing and making a ton of money, or as soon as their competitor, you know, nearest competitor in the financial sector is allowing Bitcoin and they're losing customers to them. Guess, guess what's going to happen. So it's, it's, it's kind of a tornado and it just rolls through. I mean, honestly, I'm still surprised that another country hasn't, hasn't followed El Salvador's path, but maybe we just need to see some price escalation to get people to jump in. Yeah. And I, I guess I know we've talked about not your keys, not your tokens. So the ETF is, it's kind of that way where you're putting your trust into somebody else Block has finally come out with their crypto wallet, and it is, I think, on pre-order like 95 different countries around the world. I think about 150 bucks, and they've been talking about it for a while, but it looks like it's going to be kind of interesting where that 150 bucks will be. You'll get the app, a hardware device, and then a set of re recovery tools. The concept being, I think, the app and the the hardware device will have two of the keys and then Block will have the third key that they store. And you'll need two of the three keys to do something, although it almost made it sound like they could recover it with just their own key. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens and, and how this goes. But yeah, I mean, it's what Jack Dorsey has been trying to do for a while now. And I mean, 150 bucks isn't out of the, the ordinary for a hardware wallet these days. So I, I think it'll be intriguing to see how things go. Yeah, it seems like you have a, a hardware piece, your phone, and then they hold the third key, two or three multi-sig. So I kind of like it. I, I definitely like it as a, hey, let's try this and see if we can make this self-custody easier. You know, if you have that hardware piece, 
you can keep it locked up and just don't lose it. You know, if like if your phone, if you drop your phone in the lake, that one's gone. You know, like that's a that's an easy one to lose. So you know, okay, go to your safe deposit box or go to your safe or go to wherever, pull out that one and and you now you still have two or three because the institution has the, the third. So I, you know, it's not bad. At least it, it makes you feel a little bit better. I mean, like right now, it's like okay, well, if my one of my devices turns into a brick. I've got to trust that those seed phrases work and I'm going to be sweating bullets until I get another device and get it up and, you know, get my private keys back and make sure my Bitcoin is still accessible. So I, to me, you know, it's, it's probably worth a try. I mean, it's, it's, it's something weird that they can do it on their own, you know, and if they've somehow got two keys or they know your private key that's on the hardware side, I don't know, but at least, you know, there's for some people that want to have that call support phone number, call for help. You forgot everything. You screwed up completely and somebody will bail you out. At least there's that. But it's it's worth a shot. But they got to figure out the self-custody thing if they really want to if they really want mass adoption of self-custody. Yeah. So like I say one thing about that is that it's probably not a bad idea to test out your recovery key. So put a little, put a tiny bit of money on there and then break it and then put your, your recovery words in there. Because I think what they've had in the past, and I, this is a very small percentage, but some of the, I think it was MetaMask or something like that. They had the Ethereum keys did not revert back to that wallet hmm. that they got the recovery phrase. So yeah, you said you're worried about it in the, in the future. I know it's kind of hard to do now, but when you get a hardware wallet, Put some money on there and then try to recover it and make sure that money's still there so that those, you know, those keys work before you put a lot of money on there. Yeah. But the other thing that's going on too is there's a, a company that just came out with a almost a different way of doing it. And it's almost like a social recovery method. And Ledger kind of did this whole concept, what, earlier this year and everybody hated it. But what they are allowing you to do is to choose a handful of friends or family to help recover. And I think it's something where if X number of the people that you give it to say, yes, he's real, then it'll allow you to recover it somehow. So it, it, I think that's good for those people that struggle to uh, hold these recovery phrases, I guess, easily or without losing them or getting them messed up. And I think that will be become more of an option in the future where you can just say, okay, if I have a bunch of friends and family, they can confirm that I am who I say I am. And now I'm going to be able to recover all my coins from whatever wallet I'm using. Yeah. I mean, they'll figure it out. Like you got tons of smart people working on this stuff. Like it's not easy for super smart people to design products for like the 50th percentile because they're going to assume that uh, people are more capable than they are, but they'll get there. Especially like design something, figure it out, release it, get all the feedback. The next one you do is going to be way better than the first one. So yeah, yeah, just do that. So Chainlink was also in the news here recently. They just announced their version two staking. The first version they allowed about 20 million tokens to be staked the second version they upped that to 45 million tokens 
the crazy part is what was available to the public was pretty much snatched up within six hours of, of that happening. So there's a huge demand for staking on Link. I think the price popped like 12% when that happened. So can they continue to be the largest oracle in the tokenization space? And I'm excited to see if if that continues and hopefully they allow others to continue to, to stake the tokens as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I still have some chain link from the experimental days. So that's good. I mean, I, you know, I like Bitcoin and I'm all about Bitcoin, but some of these things are going to find a path to some level of success. You know, they're, there's going to, they're going to, they're going to figure out some use cases and things like that. Staking is to me, staking is not it, right? That's just kind of a neat secondary uh, advantage that you have from kind of owning tokens or whatever. It's almost like getting a dividend on a stock. So we'll see, we'll see what they do. Well, I think oracles are needed to make the blockchain work flawlessly, right? I mean, you got to have something that determines whether it's real or not. So if there's a way that Chainlink can make it more beneficial for you to hold your link, I think that's that's great. And yeah, we'll see what happens. But it's it's exciting to see that things are progressing. I think it's a long ways away before we can easily just go stake our link. <laughs> right. But they're, they're testing things out and we'll see what happens. Another cool use case, so Helium Mobile, which owns the Helium network, they just partnered with T-Mobile to offer a unlimited wireless service that's a combination of T-Mobile and their Helium network. It's $20 a month, which is kind of crazy, but the their token that underlies the Helium network token jumped 50% in a day, and I think it's up like 150% in the last 30 days because of this. So exciting to see. We'll see how well it takes off and who's actually using it. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to use the Helium network. Nope. It's, I mean, I think I have one in my house <laughs> that I'm trying to mine with, but it's a long ways away before it's being used by everybody. The other thing that I did see is I've been a f- huge fan of ZK rollups for a while. Starknet, Starknet is one of those ZK suppliers that they just announced that they are planning for an airdrop. So I think it's 1.8 billion tokens they're going to airdrop. They don't actually have a timeline yet, although it is soon. And soon could mean still a year or two away <laughs> at this right. point, right? But it's exciting to see. I mean, shoot, you looked at what happened with Gito on Solana. And there were a lot of people that made a lot of money with airdrops. And I think we're going to, we're going to start to see another airdrop season come. And, and even Layer Zero is... Another one that has announced they're going to make do a, a airdrop as well, and most people don't even know who Layer Zero is. But you, I mean, they're kind of an infrastructure play. They there are two tokens out there that use Layer Zero that you've probably heard of, and that's Uniswap and PancakeSwap. So both pretty important dexes out there, and they are really reliant on Layer Zero. And then the last thing that I had that was really interesting is Reebok has jumped into the metaverse space. So they partnered with Futureverse and they are working on developing numerous AI and blockchain based games and digital experiences. So definitely not the first footwear company to jump into this place, but they are looking a lot into the gaming space. And we've talked about gaming being a huge theme for this year, probably more than next year at this point. 
but it'll be exciting to see what they kind of come up with and, and how things go from here. Yeah, uh, try stuff. It's fine with me. Anything else on your end? Yeah, I had a couple a couple things. You know, last week I talked about power, like electricity for a while. And this week I read a thing that came out, the New Hampshire Nuclear Commission report. It's a the commission was created in 2022 to look at the next generation nuclear technology, which is just small modular nuclear reactors instead of gigantic one gigawatt, $10 billion, 10 year projects. These are like prepackaged units, 75 megawatt, 100 megawatts a pop. So if you need 400 megawatts, you get four of them. And this technology has been going on. I mean, I think I bought stock in new scale and, and B&W in 2010, 2011, when I was like, oh, this is a great idea. This, this, this paves the way for zero carbon power. You don't have all this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a good design. It's, it's smart. And it has gone, it hasn't gone nowhere, but it hasn't really taken off at all. And so this report about nuclear power in these small nuclear reactors has 40 different references to Bitcoin. And that's kind of how I got, it kind of popped up on my feed. It was like 40, Bitcoin mentioned 40 times in this report for nuclear power. And I'm like, okay, well, that's a weird way to tell me that something important was said. They used the word Bitcoin 40 times. like. So anyway, I've read the freaking thing. It was boring. And really the Bitcoin, one, the first time it was mentioned is in the, the executive summary right off the bat. Paragraph two, as far as potential beyond electricity, you know, nuclear power can be used for hydrogen production, desalinization, uh, heating, like district heating, data centers, and Bitcoin mining. And I'm like, okay, well, hydrogen production is a little bit of a new thing. Desalinization is is and heating and data centers are – concrete. So Bitcoin mining being mentioned in those things is good. And so what it came down to was they the commission brought in different people to speak to educate the commission on different areas of nuclear. And they brought in this one guy, his name's Ryan McLeod. He's, I guess he's a younger guy, Canadian, from Canadian Nuclear Laboratories. And I mean, he sounded like he knew his stuff you know, it's it's just the benefits of pairing nuclear and Bitcoin mining stuff that I've talked about. You know, it's it's the only way to do a, a sizable, flexible, predictive load on on nuclear, which is going to be just flat out base load. And so he talked about Terra Wolf, which we mentioned probably a year ago, where they are behind the meter at the Susquehanna plant, where essentially they're prior to the electricity going to the grid, the Bitcoin miners have the opportunity to use that power. And so there's, you know, there's real world applications. They, you know, it's not like, hey, you'll be the first people ever to do Bitcoin mining with nuclear. It's like, no, that's already been done. Here's the, here's the success. And that, the new scale partnered with Standard Power on a deal for 1277 megawatt reactors with a similar approach. Tons of benefits because you know you're trying to finance the deal. It's like, well, we we need to build five of these nuclear reactors because this area is growing. But you know, we need to kind of look where the puck or, or, or skate to where the puck is going. We can't just build build what the power needs are now. So you kind of overbuild the power at first, 
Well, if you're a financer of the project, you're like, okay, well, in the meantime, what, where does money come from? It's like, oh, well, we have a buyer. It's th These Bitcoin miners are going to be buying the power until we sell it on the grid. So it helps to, it helps the finances of the project. And that'll also help with underserved sites, areas that don't have good power, remote areas and things like that. So to me, pretty solid. Uh, I like that it's kind of a mainstream piece. They, they even mentioned like, hey, Bitcoin's got credibility now. It's not what it was 10 years ago. And the benefits of grid balancing, having a guaranteed customer, and accelerating the adoption of, of clean nuclear power. And so I was like, it was pretty good. <laughs> like it was, it was definitely along the lines of the stuff that I that I, and how Bitcoin mining can make nuclear power a real option for for new gen. And so we'll see. I may not go anywhere, but it it, it might. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. The other thing I talked about last week was how the heck am I, or, do you take some profit from Bitcoin and not regret it forever? And so I, I may go on a bit of a run here, but. I, I spent some time thinking about it because it's like, okay, number one, do you want to sell it all? Are you, just, are you one of these guys that just holds everything and only buys more and never sells? If you are, then the, the podcast is over for you. Thanks for listening. If you're not and you're like, you know what I do? I want like, man, I've been I've been doing this for years. It's been over six years for me. And it's like, okay, it's kind of finally time for me to, to convert that into some things that will de-stress my life or – vacations or improve my quality of life or whatever, something you want. It's, I don't know that there's like a whole lot of victory dying with the most Bitcoin. I don't know that that's like the, like the coolest way to tell your Bitcoin story. Like it, put it on your, your headstone, how much Bitcoin you died with. That doesn't sound as awesome as like, oh yeah, we were, we were able to take my family, do this, do that. My kids went to this college because we didn't have any problems with financing it and all that. Or they didn't have to get into get into debt to go to college or whatever. I mean, there's benefits, right? I mean, there's a reason why everybody works their whole life. It's to make money to improve things. So anyway, I kind of came down to uh, to two things. One, you got to pick how much money you're going to hold on for a, a long, long time. Like for me, I've got a couple kids. How How much for each kid? That's not touchable. That's theirs, not mine. You know, I'll start giving it to them when they graduate college or high school or get married or whatever, you know, kind of like how some trusts are built where money becomes available at certain milestones, whatever that money. That's not, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that Bitcoin. That's, that's locked up. <clears throat> so, you know, whatever's left over, what do you want to sell? Like, let's just, I think you have to assume we're going to hit a bull run here. If you don't think we're going to hit a bull run here, we're going to hit a bull run somewhere. And if you don't think we're going to have a bull run at all, you're probably not holding any Bitcoin. So let, I feel like that's a safe assumption. And and to me, you don't want to regret it, right? Like you, you're not selling Bitcoin to get dollars because if you have dollars, you need to buy something with them. You need to either turn it into things you want or equities houses, you know, investments and things like that. You can't hold dollars. So, you know, th that's that's a piece of this. And so I think one way to do it is you just pick a dollar value that you won't regret. Hey man, I I bought in at $10,000 and if this thing hits 150, I'm up 15x. That's a good investment. I turned 10 grand into 150. No complaints. 
right? That's kind of easy. You set a, a limit sale and wait. And if it hits 150 and you sell the, a piece of that you wanted to sell and it goes to 300, no regrets because it might have gone to 300 in two months and it might have gone to 300 in five years. And five years from now, you don't know where you're at and your kids may be in college and you're, you know, your, your cash flow is, is, is pinched. So there's, that's one. I don't know that I really want to do that one, but you know, for me, if it, if, if my number's uh, 200 and it goes to 199, like crap, (laughs) I didn't, didn't hit it. Uh, Maybe it's another four years before it does. So I, I, I think that that, that's not a bad way to do it Two, You can, you can dollar cost average out and just say, Hey, here's what I think is going to happen. I think from, you know, January ETF approval, you know, everything starts to ramp up or, or maybe it's like, Hey, once it, once it starts, once it breaks a hundred thousand, I start selling and over 18 months, you know, if, if this thing, if it hits a hundred thousand and March of next year, I assume this thing's going to run until the, maybe October of the next year. Cause that's kind of when the bull run peaks out is fall of the year after the having. So I got like uh, 18, 19 months. Uh, however many, if I want to sell a Bitcoin divided by 20, you know, 0.05 Bitcoin, sell it every month. And whatever the price does, as long as it's over a hundred thousand, your dollar cost averaging out. And you can do it the same way with the, instead of doing it on a monthly basis, just say, all right, once this thing hits a hundred grand, I'm selling 0.1. And then if it hits 150 grand, I'm going to sell 0.15. And if it hits 200, I'm going to sell 0.25. And if it hits 300 grand, I'm going to sell a half a Bitcoin. And that way you're, you're weighted to the higher dollar values. And if it doesn't go up there, you didn't lose as much Bitcoin. You're holding it for the next cycle. And, but you did cash out some profits in that, you know, you know, smaller dollar values, but you're you're still getting a bump and you're still able to do some of the things you want to do with with the short term money. So I, I don't think that's a bad that's a bad way to do it. And like I said, if it, both of those ways, you're kind of protected if the dollar, if the price doesn't do what you think it's going to do. I was kind of like doing some research on how to sell because I don't know how to sell Bitcoin. I don't really know how to sell much of anything. And, and one of the things was like rebalancing your portfolio. And I'm like, well, that one's, that was a bad idea. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell Bitcoin so I can buy stocks or I'm not going to sell Bitcoin so I can buy a rental property. So I, I don't, I, I kind of just dismiss that one. But, you know, for me, you know, that first cycle 2017 got in, you know, 2018, I didn't, I think I, I think I was just such a young, you know, I just bought and sold on emotion. Like, oh, this feels good. Oh, that feels bad. Sell, buy. And I kind of ended up getting lucky and not getting just destroyed. And then the last cycle, I didn't sell anything. I just bought. I bought low. I bought high. I bought like everything and never sold anything. And some of it was good. Some, I mean, we're at say 40,000, 40, low 40s now. So, I mean, I've got plenty of plenty of Bitcoin that's not profitable right now. And so if we, you know, if this thing goes nuts and goes high, it's like, all right, it's time. If it's time to be right and collect some money, you know, and, and be able to improve some things. So anyway, that's kind of where I'm at. You know, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a strategy because there, I know for a fact, there's no way I can develop a strategy during live bullets, right? When, when the, the dollar values are going up, and everything's crazy and everybody's like, oh, this thing's going to a million. It hits a million. Oh, it's going to two. Like 
you're never there's never it's never good enough when the bull runs on for you to sell and you know after it's over you hear some of these people like oh yeah i sold the top you're like okay well i doubt that but uh you know you kind of want to be one of those guys like yeah you know I, i had a plan i executed my plan it was good enough right and and for me I'm going to have, you know, I've got the Bitcoin that's going to be with me that is going to be probably inherited and to my kids. And I've got some that's going to go in this cycle and I've got some that I'm going to have left over for, for whatever's after this. And so kind of a short, medium and long term strategy. I haven't picked my numbers or anything like that, but some of these, some of these strategies where it's like, hey, I, I made a decision and I stuck with it. I'm not going to regret it because if I didn't do it, the stuff we did in 2024 and 2025, we wouldn't have done because we wouldn't have had the the money to do it because I can't, I can't buy a plane ticket with Bitcoin yet, you know? So anyway, that's, that, that's just kind of following up on the thing we talked about last or the thing I talked about last week, as far as like trying to learn how to sell Bitcoin, because I don't want to learn it the hard way. Yeah. I, I think you made a great point. I mean, emotions are going to be crazy during the bull run. So if you do not have a plan, and I would argue that it needs to be written, because if it's not written, you're going to change it on the fly constantly. So when you're buying any asset, you almost have to have a plan of what you're going to do to get out of it. And uh, Bitcoin, especially because the emotions run so crazy during the bull runs, because they can get wild. So that's one. The other thing, when selling I think it's important to have a couple different ways to do it, right? So most people sign up at Coinbase and they're limited on what Coinbase will allow them to do and what they won't. And if something happens and you can't get into Coinbase or you get locked out for some reason, uh, and Coinbase, you're screwed. It is very common for Coinbase to go down when things are hot. Yeah. So, so you're, you should have multiple avenues of being able to sell. And we've talked about Strike. Strike is fantastic for Bitcoin. Not so much for anything else, right? But for you, you don't care about that. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, at this point, if there are other coins that you want to be a part of, you need to be doing your KYC on the exchanges today. Because when things get crazy and everybody wants to go buy stuff, or if, if you're trying to sell and they're wanting to buy, because that happens all the time in these bull runs, KYC could take weeks and you miss your chance. So if you want to go be able to buy or sell at these places, go set up the KYC now and just have it. Most You don't have to pay anything for these exchanges to become KYC'd. Uh, they just will have to know that in order to, to do any sort of serious buy or sells in the future. Yeah. And if you have any Bitcoin that has not been through or traded between a KYC wallet and a custody wallet, those are your long-term, that's your long-term holdings right there. Keep that one in your back pocket <laughs> for all the, the Bitcoin that's been passed through KYC wallets. That's the that's the stuff you sell just as like a quick little heads up on on like the apocalyptic. What happens if uh, they track everything? And, you know, you you want to have you want to have a little bit of a little bit of conspiracy theory into the world money in your back pocket that, that the government doesn't know about. That doesn't they know it's there. They just don't know. They can't attach it to anybody. Who owns it? Right. So if you happen to have any of that, that's that's your long-term stuff. And hence why it's good with a lot of these wallets to use a different address every time you do transactions. <laughs> One from a security perspective, but also 
it allow it theoretically what what I keep hearing is that with quantum computing and, and AI and stuff like that, they will be able to break the encryption of the keys if they keep seeing uh, a wallet signed by the, the same address, right? So if you use a different address, it's going to be a lot harder to figure it out versus a, a the address over and over again and allows somebody to see how it's signed on the blockchain and it figures something out. So that's way over my head, but... Hmm. A lot of what I do now is like, okay, well, I'm going to use a different address. And, and most of these have it built in that you automatically use an address and it's one and done, right? So, and there's so many out there, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to run out of addresses and they're not going to crack the encryption. Like, I, the more, so I, the more I learn about that side of it, the more the number of, like, if you guess the private key, you, it's, it just takes like a billion years to do it. So, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on that side of things and I'm not sure about like, I mean, Elon Musk said like, yeah, no AI can't crack the encryption, but if there are some things like there are some pitfalls that you can fall into to make things easier and become a target. So, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Well, just from a visual perspective to understand the number of Bitcoin addresses out there, because I kind of like this visual. So if you think of the earth and every grain of sand on every beach, as an individual device, right? If you think of, so if each one of those pieces of sand is an actual address, the number of Bitcoin addresses is if you took each earth, or took each grain and made that an earth with a bunch of individual grains, then that's the full number of Bitcoin addresses out there. So it is yeah, the numbers insane are insane number. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just you think of like one beach that you go to and all the sand you see is is ridiculous, right? Now, every beach across the world and each one of those is its own world with a, with all the beaches and addresses. Like it, it's it's mind boggling to even think of. Yes. Yeah. The encryption is is pretty solid. The people using the encryption is usually the weak point. Yeah. Yeah. Don't use same passwords at all and ideally have a different email for a lot of your crypto accounts yeah so, yeah but. your coinbase account password should be different than your other password that's the one thing that like not to start a whole new topic when we're winding things down but when it comes to these etfs and elizabeth warren and the centralization of bitcoin and all that what you're doing is you're creating honeypots you're creating gigantic targets for people to be attracted to hack into. And so if people are holding things on hardware wallets, those hackers have to guess which grain of sand is the right grain of sand out of a whole world made out of sand. But if it's held on 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 BlackRock's devices, then all they need to do is figure out how to bribe somebody that works at BlackRock, how to hack into passwords for the people that work at BlackRock. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it changes the avenues for bad actors that makes them much easier than holding things on your own device. And so put it on the list of reasons why eliminating self-custody is a bad idea. Awesome. This has been a uh, very full discussion today. Yeah, it was a long one. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of good stuff. And, and I'll, as always, great talking with you, Hal. Awesome. Talk Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers i've created a product that dives into most of those answers including why crypto how to set up a cold wallet 
and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.